Good morning, friends. Good morning. Shall we worship together? Would you stand and sing with us? One, two, three, four, and...
It is so good to see you this morning. Welcome to worship. Operation Christmas Child Boxes are available for sale for $2 each. These boxes will last many years and remind the recipients of the love of God. If you or a group you are in would like to sponsor a trunk or treat for our trunk or treat on October 30th, please sign up in the Welcome Center. Our next Just for the Guys meeting will be September 30th at 6 p.m. Bring something to cook on the grill. Drinks and sides will be provided. We will be joining other churches in the area on October 16th with Holotus House neighborly service for a food distribution with the San Antonio Food Bank. We need four volunteers to help with this project from nine until all the food is given out. Please tell Pastor Jim if you are available to help. Next Saturday, beginning at 9 a.m., we will decorate the patch. Our scripture reading is 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Please join me in prayer. Faithful God, we gather to praise you and offer our thanks. We especially thank you for Jesus, who taught us humility and hospitality. Remind us often how truly blessed we are through our riches in Christ Jesus. Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your word is a fountain of blessing in this world. Enliven our souls as we hear your word today. Remind us often the sacrifice for Jesus, who died for us. Give our foolish ways and fill us with your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Does it feel like fall to anyone? It feels like fall this morning to me. And I am so excited. Even though I've never lived on a farm in my life and they're just things I see in picture books, fall is that time of plenty, right? It's the time where we have what we need and life feels good. The summer heat's gone, which is awesome. But I love fall in the church because it's also a time to get plugged back into our church, especially here at HHUMC, right? We have so many volunteer opportunities that open up during fall that allow us to put our faith into works, not just sitting here on a Sunday morning, but to come and to serve our community through things like the pumpkin patch and doing our shifts at the pumpkin patch. What a great way to be Jesus to the world around us by being welcoming, right? Jesus showed us how to have hospitality, and we can follow that example. 
We also have things coming up like Trunk or Treat, a, an opportunity to reach out to our community in Old Town Holotus, to um, be Jesus there, to be welcoming and accepting of anybody who walks up to our table and to let them know that they are loved and cared for by their community, right? The church is part of the community. We have volunteer opportunities in the children's ministry, in the nursery program, the elementary program, and in our youth program that we are trying to re refire, right? Get it going again. We have many opportunities coming up for that, one of which is going to be a middle school Sunday school class that will be taking place. It'll start the first Sunday in October, and it's going to be led by Pastor Jim and Mary Schmelter, and we're super excited for our middle schoolers for that because we have we have quite a few. There's actually like a handful of them, and then there's going to be five or six more that graduate next year that go up into middle school. We want to make sure that they have their special place here. We will also be starting on Tuesday nights in the month of October, we're going to be starting a music mentorship program for middle schoolers and high schoolers to come in and to have a safe place for them to gather and to hang out here in our church, for them to learn something from people who have something to teach, right? If you are music-minded and you are willing to mentor towards younger people, we would love to have you. Steve Work and I are putting this together. It's going to be on Tuesday evenings. We'll peg down the times and make announcements for you. But we're looking for any adults that might be willing to take part in that because, you know what, teaching the next generation of musicians means we have more music in the church, right? And we have a wonderful music program we want to keep going. So if you're interested in that, let me know. If you have middle schoolers or high schoolers that might want to learn an instrument or have a place to perform and express their art, keep us in mind and stay tuned for more announcements about that because we would love to have them. Since we have the wonderful Gideons here with us today, we're not going to have a children's sermon. At this time, I'm going to invite the kiddos to exit out of the side doors, either up here or in the back, and we will go out to spark worship. Thank you. As Jesse just said, we're blessed today to have the Gideons with us. I encourage all of you to give generously to the Gideons. They'll be standing at the back door when the uh, service is over. As soon as y'all give enough, we'll unlock the doors. <laughs> and uh, but no, 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 no. no. All, all, all joking is all joking aside. You know, y'all know, y'all know me. I've been here long enough. We don't have a whole lot of extracurricular ministries, so to speak, that come in to this congregation, and that's because a lot of them, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think they're doing anything wrong, but I don't think they are necessarily outstanding. The Gideons are outstanding. I mean, wherever, you know, all of, all of you, all of you, I'm sure, have been someplace perhaps a hotel or motel room, although sadly, sadly, in today's current environment, some of those places aren't as receptive to the Gideons. And, you know, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And the Gideons are faithful at putting out the Word of God day in and day out, always, and have been throughout my life, and I'm sure will continue on when I'm not here any longer. So I'm going to uh, ask Derek to come up here. I told him if he spoke over 10 minutes, they would never be invited back. So welcome, Derek. <laughs> well, good morning. I promise you this will be under 10 minutes. <laughs> well, taking the Lord's name in vain. 
That's the only way that the Lord's name ever came up in the angry household Lori grew up in many years ago. From an early age, Lori was depressed and hopeless, but then one day her little brother brought home a little green book just like this one I have in my hand, and he handed it to Lori. Now, Lori was intrigued, so she took that little book and she started to look through it. She noticed that there were topics in the front, some like fear, anger, depression, things that she'd been dealing with in her life that she could look up and find out more about in the book itself. Little did Lori know, but that book was a New Testament Proverbs and Psalms that a Gideon, a Gideon had handed her little brother earlier that day in school. Lori's teenage years, they're full of all kinds of abuse. By the time she was 19, she had attempted suicide on two different occasions. By Christmas of 1989, Lori was at the end of her rope, and she cried out to the Lord for help. The Lord pointed her back in the direction of that little testament she'd received so many years ago. Lori went to the testament. She started reading. She made her way to John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Lori made her way to the very back of the Little Testament where she got into God's plan of salvation. It's there that she read the information that helped solidify in her mind that she was a sinner in desperate need of salvation that's only available through Jesus Christ. When she read that, understood it, and accepted it, I'm happy to report she turned her life over to Jesus. Now, Lori knew from that point forward things were going to be different. And folks, I'm also happy to report different indeed. Lori has spent the last 20-plus years as a certified biblical counselor, and recently she opened up her own biblical counseling center in her hometown in Tennessee. Now, it's incredible and inspiring stories like Lori's that keep the Gideons out there distributing God's Word to see lives turn to Christ. For many of you here today, just like Pastor Jim was saying, when you think about the Gideons, you probably think about these Bibles that you've seen in a hotel or motel room. Well, I want you to know that we as Gideons do put Bibles in hotel and motel rooms, but that's not all we do. As a matter of fact, the Gideons are so much more. I do imagine some of you may be wondering to yourself right now, well, just who are these Gideons, and what exactly is it that y'all do? And my answer to that is, I'm glad you asked. The Gideons' sole purpose is to see the lost one for Christ. We're an organization of about 250,000 born-again Christian business and professional men and their wives. We're organizing about 200, in countries, 200 countries and territories across the globe. Gideons print and distribute God's Word in over 100 different languages. And over the past five years, solely by the grace of God, on average we've distributed about 70 million copies of God's Word across the globe. Gideons print and distribute God's Word in all those languages, like I said, but we distribute God's Word in the traffic lanes of life where churches, denominations, and other ministries just can't go. And we do it all as part of the local church. Every Gideon is a member of a local church just like this one. And with your help and support, and the help and support of many other churches, we distribute God's Word into places like hotels, motels, doctor's offices, nursing homes, Please fire EMS stations for armed forces members both home and abroad to students fifth grade and above and on college and university campuses across the globe. Now, speaking of college and university campuses, I heard recently about twin brothers Kevin and Keith who went off to attend college. Now, Kevin and Keith, they, they were raised up attending church on a regular basis. 
But when they went off to school, they put some separation between themselves and that regular church attendance. Matter of fact, they renounced their Christianity and they became atheists. Well, one day, Kevin was walking to class and he saw up ahead of him a group of men with boxes handing out little books like this one. And as he got closer, he saw that they were Gideons handing out little testaments. And for some reason, as he walked by, he stuck his hand out and he grabbed one of those testaments. Now, as he was walking into class, he opened up that little testament and he started reading. As soon as class was over, he made a beeline straight back to his dorm room where he continued reading the rest of the day and into the night. Folks, Kevin read that entire testament front cover to back cover. He ended up in the very back in God's plan of salvation. That's where he read the information that helped to solidify in his mind that he was a sinner in desperate need of salvation that's only available through Jesus Christ. When he read that, understood it, and accepted it, he turned his life over to Jesus. He accepted Christ as his full or as his Savior. Folks, Kevin was so excited when he'd done that, he wanted to tell somebody. He wanted to tell his twin brother Keith, who was there at school with him, but he was reluctant. Reluctant because he wasn't sure how Keith would react. But Kevin mustered up his courage. He made his way over to Keith's dorm room door, and he knocked on the door. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened next, but you may not believe me. Keith opens the door. He's holding his own testament he received from the Gideons earlier that day on campus. First thing Keith says to Kevin, that he had accepted Christ as his Savior that day. Folks, both of those brothers turned their lives over to Jesus that day on that college campus. And as I understand it, both of those brothers are still in full-time Christian ministry, one pastoring a church and one out on the mission field. Every day, people are coming into contact with Gideon's Place scriptures. And often, it's their first connection with the living God. Now, just like Pastor Jim said earlier, we are out there as Gideons every day handing out God's word and sharing the gospel of Jesus with people. But you know what? There are still billions of people on this planet that need to hear God's word. And there's millions of them right here in the United States. When I throw out numbers like billions and millions of people, I imagine some of y'all may wonder to yourself, what could I do? How could I help? And my answer is very similar to the question I asked y'all before, and that is, I'm glad you asked, because there's a couple things that each and every one of us can do here today to help with this cause. First off, I would invite you to pray. Pray that God will continue to open doors to allow the Gideon's international ministry to put God's word across the globe and across the street. We hand out testaments right here in this community. Also, we're looking for help. If the Lord's laid on your heart about maybe how you could help with this ministry, there's lots of ways to help. And you could come see Rick or I after today's service, and we'd be happy to talk to you and answer any questions you might have about the ministry. Second, I would say, and this is frankly, I would say, we could use your financial support. Do you know it costs a lot of money to print up all those millions of Bibles and ship them across the world? What I want you to know is that for about a dollar and 30 cents, we can put one of these testaments in the hands of a man, woman, boy, or girl anywhere on the globe. And so if the Lord is, is laying on your heart right now or potentially tug, tugging at you a little bit and saying, hey, give a gift to the Gideons, we could put it to work right away. Getting Bibles in the hands of boys and girls 
in this community and across the globe. Now, Rick and I will be in the back of the sanctuary after day service. If there's a gift that you'd like to give, we'll put that to work right away. If you just want to come say hello, I'd love to meet you. If you have questions about the ministry, stop by and we'd be happy to talk to you about that also. With that, I want to say, Pastor, thank you so much for allowing us to be here today. Folks, thank you for your time and attention and for allowing us to be part of your worship service today. And I was negligent when I introduced Derek to say, if you don't carry cash, I could get, this is a sermon, but I'll, I'll retain myself. You can still write out a check to Holotus Hills United Methodist Church and put Gideon's in the memo line. Rhonda will tally up that amount and cut a check and we'll mail it to them. But you really should carry cash. So my first rainbow is the rainbow to see all of you here on this last Sunday of summer. All right. Next Sunday, we will be in fall. Praise the Lord for that. It's, uh, it's good to see all of you. Praise the Lord. And praise the Lord for a great summer. I mean, uh, I've told several people recently, I've, I'm a native Texan, and, and I've lived Austin or south or west of there in Texas since 1980. And I've never been anywhere with a summer where we had an August that we didn't hit 100 degrees. Wow. Praise the Lord. I mean, we've had a cool summer, and maybe we'll have a cool fall. So praise the Lord for that. I have a couple of rattlesnakes. The first rattlesnake, I, have, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to this morning because I'm very sad and uh, about this, but on... On the 15th, just the other day, you know, just four days ago, Taylor Boone passed away. And Taylor was a deacon. He's a, he was a clergy member in the United Methodist Church. Some of you may have known Taylor as, uh, I've been blessed to know Taylor as I was. But all of you, whether you know it or not, are beneficiaries of some of Taylor's work. So I just want to read portions of this to you. It is with tremendous sadness that we are writing to share with you that our beloved friend and respected colleague, Reverend Taylor Boone, passed away last night, September the 15th. For those who are privileged to know Taylor, you understand the gravity of our loss. Our love and prayers are with his family as well as all the people in his life who loved and cared for Taylor. Reverend Taylor Boone was instrumental in building the partnership that created Methodist Healthcare Ministries and transformed Methodist Hospital into the Methodist Healthcare System. By all accounts, he was the chief architect of the partnership, the founding father of the Methodist Healthcare family in South Texas. As the Methodist Healthcare System Partnership took, took shape, Taylor led the board of the Southwest Texas Methodist Hospital and managers through thoughtful and faith-filled consideration of the opportunities the partnership presented while protecting the Methodist mission and values. It took the very highest level of understanding, skill, compassion, and faith to bring all the constituencies together 
resulting in the formation of the Methodist Healthcare System in January of 1995. And the Southwest Texas Medical Hospital Board's transition to become Methodist Healthcare Ministries. Building the partnership was a labor of love for Taylor, so much so that he put his law practice on hold and devoted himself entirely to the process. Last year, as we celebrated the partnership's 25th anniversary, Taylor shared that the events leading up to the partnership made him feel a calling to ministry and led to his pursuit of ordination. Taylor's commitment to both Methodist healthcare systems and Methodist healthcare ministries did not stop at the formation of the partnership. At the time the partnership was finalized, Taylor was in his first term as president of the Southwest Texas Medical Hospital Board of Directors. He maintained his leadership as chair when the partnership with HCA Healthcare was finalized in January 1995. Six months later, he turned the gavel over to Mac Rainey, who would become the board's chair for what is now the Methodist Healthcare Ministries Board of Directors. Taylor's leadership continued on as he became the first board chair of the Methodist Healthcare System Board of Governors. Taylor's contributions to Methodist Healthcare have led to the system becoming the largest and most preferred health system in South Texas, and Methodist Healthcare Ministries becoming the largest private funded source for care to the underserved in communities across its service area. Taylor will be remembered for his kindness and mentorship. He was known to be a man you could absolutely trust and someone you wanted to work alongside of, not only because of his intellect, but because of his character. His legacy will be the countless lives he impacted through the work of his Methodist healthcare family. Sincerely, Alan Harrison, President and CEO, Methodist Healthcare Systems. So, anyway, uh, Taylor was a a friend of mine and a, a, a great Christian, we mourn his loss today and uh, lift up his wife, Allison, and their family in our prayers. Oh, Lord, we pray. And then I've got another snake that's not a rattlesnake. Many of you are aware of Rebecca and my friends, John and Elizabeth Oricott, who are missionaries in Uganda. I got an email from Elizabeth earlier this week, and they are, they're doing very well. They're doing a great work in Uganda, which I'll talk to anyone that wants to at length about. They're building a new compound way out in the Thule's where, you know, I guess Gene Roddenberry would say no one's gone before. They have, they have a problem with puff adders. Y'all realize the puff adder is responsible for most of the venomous snake bites in Africa. She says they're all over the place. So we want to pray that they have a solution to the uh, soon to the uh, puff adder infestation. She said just the other day one of the workers there almost sat on one of them. So the next time you, uh, you think you've got problems, consider that. So we want to lift up John and Elizabeth and their work and that situation in Uganda. Oh Lord, we pray. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this beautiful day. 
We thank you for everything that you bless us with. Lord, I ask that you would remind us often how blessed we are. And not only how blessed we are, but remind us that we are blessed that we might be a blessing to others. Your Son and our Lord told us that He came that we might have life and that in abundance. And there's no reason other than hardened hearts that there's not an abundance for everyone, that everyone's not enjoying that abundance. Lord, I lift up those we've named and many who remain unnamed. I ask that you would heal those who need healing. Give travel mercies to those who are traveling. Lift up those who are discouraged. Lord, I lift up all those who are in areas of the world that are suffering from violence. I lift up all those who don't have the basic necessities of life. Lord, I lift up the leaders of this country and all the countries of the world that they would seek and do your will and that those who refuse to would be removed from their positions. Lord, I ask that you would guide all of us this morning with your Holy Spirit as your word is proclaimed that we might go forth to declare your goodness and love and the salvation that's available to all through your Son who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, this morning in our continuing series on prophets, we're going to talk about Zechariah. I was at a memory class that was given by Jerry Lucas. He was a he was an NBA baseball player, basketball player, and he taught memory classes back I think in the 80s or whatever. For some reason, he got into that, and he specifically taught Bible memory classes. He taught you how to remember uh, different Bible stories and the books of the Bible and everything else. One of the most colorful areas was the last three books of the New Testament. He said, when you're trying, you know, and, and of course, he we were going through all the books, but there, you know, we end up with what we call the 12 minor prophets. But as you'll see in a minute, hopefully, Zechariah is not really that minor, if you think about it. But before Zechariah is Haggai, right? And he said, now, you think of some old hag, and she's got a great big eye, like in the middle of her head, like a cyclops, right? That's how you can remember Haggai, right? And then Zechariah, that's a Zechariah, right? Zechariah, you see? Because all of us, if, if, if we can tie a picture to something in our minds, there's that correlation there, then it's easier to retrieve it. Doesn't work 100% of the time, but it sure helps if you can, if you can do that. And then... Malachi was 
a mallet that was a kite. You can see this mallet flying around, right? Reminds me of the balloon shapes in Albuquerque. Anyway, Zechariah is the most quoted of the prophets by the New Testament writers. There are all sorts of prophecies in Zechariah that we see in the New Testament. I'm just going to touch on a few of them this morning. But before I do that, let's place Zechariah in time. What we're going to be reading this morning was, you know, again, again there's always dispute on this because, you know, all the, all the biblical scholars didn't, or, or all the people that wrote the Bible and all the biblical history we have wasn't perfectly recorded time-wise, although there are some things in Zechariah that really nail it down pretty good. In fact, some of this, uh, some biblical scholars are so bold as to even say the particular day that he said something, which is most unusual when it comes to dating things historically. But anyway, Zechariah, give or take a year or two, and what we're doing today of 520-518 B.C., Somewhere, somewhere along there, the last part of the 6th century, right? Zechariah was part of one of the first groups that went... Zechariah was a, a, a prophet in Judah. He was one of the first groups that went... In one of the first groups that went back from Babylon to Jerusalem after captivity, okay? So his audience were people who had been in captivity, okay? And he was trying to make sure that the lesson they had been taught, hopefully, they wouldn't forget, okay? That they wouldn't forget because Zechariah very clearly understood what, I think this quote is attributed to a man named James F. White. He says, the enemy of the church is not secularity, but idolatry, the worship of the wrong God. And that, of course, has pretty much always been the problem. I'll say has always been the problem. And it's the reason the Lord starts out the Ten Commandments with, you shouldn't have any other gods before me. If you keep that one straight... All the other ones are really pretty easy to, to fall in line as far as that goes. So here Zechariah is preaching to the people who have come back from captivity who ended up in captivity in the first place because they didn't obey God. And he tells them. He tells them in Zechariah 1, which we're not going to read. In fact, we're only going to read. I'm going to read Zechariah 13 this morning for our scripture. But he tells them in Zechariah chapter 1, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return unto me, and I will return unto you. And he's telling this to the people that are coming back from captivity. Now, in the book of Zechariah, like I said, there are all sorts of predictions about Jesus. It talks about Jesus' deity. It talks about Jesus rebuilding the house of God. It talks about Jesus, Jesus being pierced. It talks about the, the, the shepherd that is uh, smitten and the sheep are scattered. Y'all are familiar with, with that. 
It even talks about the price that Jesus was betrayed for, 30 pieces of silver. That's in Zechariah, you know. Uh, pretty incredible, pretty incredible thing. But I want to, for the next few minutes, focus on one other image that Zechariah gives us and one other prediction that Zechariah gives us about Jesus. And it's found in the very first verse of what I'm going to read in chapter 13. So our scripture reading this morning is the 13th chapter of the book of Zechariah. Consider the word of the Lord. On that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. On that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the unclean spirit. And if any prophets appear again, their fathers and mothers who bore them will say to them, you shall not live, for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. And their fathers and their mothers who bore them shall pierce them through when they prophesy. On that day the prophets will be ashamed, every one of their visions. When they prophesy, they will not put on a hairy mantle in order to deceive. But each of them will say, I am no prophet, I am a tiller of the soil. For the land has been my possession since my youth, and if anyone asks them, what are these wounds on your chest? The answer will be, the wounds I received in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my associate, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep may be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, says the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, but one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire, refine them as one refines silver, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Please be in prayer with me and for me. Gracious and loving God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God who desires that none should perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of your love and salvation through your Son. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our salvation. You know, there's a hymnal, I mean, in our hymnal, there's a hymn on page 622, which was inspired by Zechariah 13.1. It goes like this, right? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein, and sinners plunged beneath that flood.
lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. And Zechariah says there that the fountain that will be opened in Jerusalem will both take away their sins and cleanse them from their iniquities. You know, when the, when the candle was coming in this morning, we, we sang a little bit of Rock of Ages, right? Be of sin, the double cure. Hmm. Save from wrath. See, that's not just all of it. The saving from wrath is okay, you see. And I think, I think that's one of the reasons that the church in the world today is so anemic. A lot of people may latch on to the save from wrath part, but they're not so great about the make me pure part, right? The holiness part of it. You see, Jesus didn't die just so he'd punch our tickets so when we uh, assume room temperature that we'd end up strumming a harp somewhere, right? Jesus died to, for that, but also to make us pure, to make us holy, that we might be a holy people set apart in this generation to tell everybody about God's love. But sadly today, you look around and it's, it, you know, unless you got a program, it's hard to tell the Christians from the heathens. And that's exactly what was going on in Zechariah's day too. I want to talk about it briefly as briefly as what it'll be, another prophet, Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 2.13, he really boils it all down. And if again, if we grab a hold of this and get it, you see, because Zechariah is talking about fountains here, and we're talking about fountains. And what is a fountain? A fountain in the Bible is the same difference as a stream, Okay. Or, or, of the, or the source of a stream. Another word for a fountain actually means the source of something, the beginning of it. And, of course, the beginning of life is with the fountain that comes from God and the fountain that is Jesus. In Jeremiah 2.13, he says, My people have committed two evils, two evil. And, of course, evil is what goes against God's will. So my people have done two things that go against God's will. They have forsaken me, the fountain of life. Wow. They have forsaken me, the fountain of life, and they have hewed out for themselves cisterns, cracked cisterns that can hold no water. Can hold no water, right? Jeremiah summed it up. And then Zechariah comes along and says, you know what? In that day, there's going to be a fountain for the descendants of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, you know, to cleanse them of their sin, to take away their sin and cleanse them of their iniquity. And we see very clearly, right? It's right there. In John chapter 19, it says what? It says, one of the soldiers took a spear and pierced Jesus' side, and the blood and the water came out, right? The blood and the water came out. Now, friends, I want you to consider this. I want you to consider this. We know, tells us in Hebrews, there is no atonement without the shedding of blood. Now, this is one of those things that in some ways we could classify as a mystery, right? 
A mystery is something we believe, but we don't necessarily know the mechanism for it or how it happens. But in Leviticus chapter 17, it tells us what? You don't eat the blood. You don't eat blood because life is, the life is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood, and the blood is given to be put on the altar for the atonement of sins because the life is there. So when you're covered with the blood of Jesus, your sins are removed, but look at it this way. You're covered with the life of Jesus. That's what you're covered with when you're covered with the blood of Jesus. You're covered with the life of Jesus. And when you're covered with the life of Jesus, it's really not so hard to have no other gods but God. And when you're covered with the life of Jesus, you understand that every day, just like Zechariah told those people, the Lord of hosts says to you, return to me and I will return to you. Amen? Now go in peace. And as you go, be strong and courageous and remember how things come out in the end. And as you go, go with the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen. strong and